Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Empowering Entrepreneurs. I'm Glenn Harper. Julie Smith. What's going on, Julie? You know, I'm just waiting on this warm weather to arrive, but other yeah, than that... It's Ohio. We'll never get warm weather. I know. Unlike our guest on here, he's uh, he's going to have warm weather 24-7, 365, kind of spoiled. Well, we've got a, we got a treat today. We've got uh, Danny uh, Bader, a fellow entrepreneur who is the driving force behind Simply Do It Real Estate Investments. He's helped many investors, wannabes, become successful entrepreneurs in, in, real, in the real estate world. Welcome, Danny. Thanks for being on the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Weather is warming up here in Southern California <laughs> after a big storm. Yeah, you guys have been hit with some storms. It hasn't been uh, blue skies lately. No, no, and you know, I'm in Southern California. I was up in the Bay Area speaking last week and I told them something about, you know, how we make decisions that are somewhat weather related as well, you know, as a, as a, as a secondary point. And I told them, you guys, this is a lot of rains, but this is not what I call harsh harsh winter. I don't like harsh winter, but this is not a harsh winter. And everybody's like, oh, you're so right, but they're just so not used to it. Exactly. It's, not at all. It's crazy what's going on around the world with weather, but hey, that's what makes it weather. It's all good. Um, <laughs> so, Dan, I detect a slight French accent. Is that true? I'm totally kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I... I, I can well. That's uh, there is an accent. Uh, good hearing, Glenn over there. Uh, it's not French. Uh, it's it's Israeli. So I'm originally exactly. from Israel. And I, from what I understand, you're from Ramat Hasharon, right there in the in the yeah. heart of it all, and uh, yeah. just north of Tel Aviv. How yeah. crazy! How much fun was it growing up there? You're born and raised there, I assume. Born and raised in, in that city, which is right the first uh, city over outside of Tel Aviv. It's a very uh, like middle class, uh, nice area and as a kid it was fun because we were it felt like everybody knows everybody and uh, i was out and about a lot obviously and uh as a teenager i rode horses so i would just take my bike you know cycle at three minutes down to the fields and uh jump on the horse and just ride my you know my friend's horse all the time well that's crazy you had horses right in the middle of the town that's fantastic yeah yeah yeah, that's a lot of fun. Um, it, it looks like at some point you, uh, I couldn't get a read on this when I stalked you a little bit. Um, you spent some time repping at Coventry University. What What's that all? Is it Coventry's in England, right? Coventry is a, is a UK-based yeah. uh, university, and they uh, actually came to Israel for a few years ah. to, uh, to open an extension or a school in Israel. And so it was an English school. So that was a classical clash of cultures. The English school with all their uh, uh, ticks came in and, and met the Israeli style, which is completely opposite. I think Why it lasted that? five, six years. And then the Coventry said, listen, this is not a good fit for us. And I was just lucky to go through those years. So I'm a Coventry, 
graduate the UK university, but studied in uh, an Israeli uh, campus. So you didn't have to go outside anywhere else and get well traveled that way. How did you decide to get out of Israel and come over to America? What, what was that journey like? Uh, well, the trigger was uh, in, in many ways a financial trigger because I was a um, young engineer working for Israeli high tech. Um, kind of, I think I was good at my job, but I was also not after a year or two at my uh, at, at the time at that job. I felt like I'm, I was a fixer, uh, project management, you know, the wolf kind of a thing. Uh, we have a problem with this enterprise, uh, you know, problem with this client, you know, throughout Europe. So I would go and. And I would fix the problem. I don't want to say fix the problem, but I would get it. I was very good about getting things back on track. And that was an easy key for, for me because communication is key, right? Once you open communication lines, you solve 50% of the problems. Now we have to deal with with the technical side of it, but the communication lines are open. And I even remember once uh, going to Swisscom, which is a big, huge you know, communication company in Switzerland, and those two guys, my counterparts, who I've never met, only spoke to, came to pick me up at the airport. And as soon as I get into the car, I could tell they're 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 I don't know if they're, they're pissed, they're mad. Uh -oh. right? Now I've never <laughs> met them. I knew to the project. I spoke to them once or twice, coordinating my my arrival. We see we go and have a coffee or something. I say, guys, I, I can tell. <laughs> Wait, give me one second. I promise you, I'll do anything I can. And I started opening communication lines and they saw that all of a sudden someone is listening and, you know, and helping them. And, you know, we were the supplier. I was the supplier representing the supplier. They were the client and they were very mad because they were missing deadlines. And just uh, by opening communication line, they got very easy. We still had, you know, technical challenges, but, <laughs> you know, the, the communication opened up the, all the, all the, it kind of alleviate the situation, the stress, the pressure, and things start moving forward. So that was kind of funny to see. Well, that's and I got bored of it. It was, well, uh, you know. <laughs> well, it's weird that, uh, you know, it's not typical for an engineer to have great people skills, right? Like accountants don't have good people skills, right? So that's kind of, <laughs> so when did you yeah. decide that, hey, I can do something different than working for the man doing this thing and you doing some engineering, which obviously you like to tinker around, but Hey, you can talk to people and make a difference. How did you how did you make that decision? Oh, so it's, it's it's funny that you mentioned that um halfway through my 4 years degree engineering degree, I I knew very well I'm this is not I'm not going to be an engineer. So physics <laughs> and mathematics and statistics, I knew all to like I, I told myself, Danny, you're wasting your time here, but you're already you're almost done plus You've done with the hard years. Now it's the more fun years with the more manager stuff and the other things. So and economics. So I'm like, I'm just starting my two fun year, as much as you can say, fun year in college. Um, but I knew very well this is not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to be your engineer type of uh, world. I would be more like a managerial something else. But all through, I think that job really um, point. I was. I was. I was you know, in Israel, you go to the military, uh, mandatory, and within a year before and year after until you start and finish the military. I probably, you know, I think I, that job I started when I was 25-ish, something like that, maybe 26. And for some reason, I noticed that I'm good at, at solving, that I'm, I'm a good fixer. And the good fixer reason I told myself that the reason I'm good at it is the communication. Like no ego, come in mm -hmm. and just open communication lines. And, you know, remove yourself from the situation and, you know, let people vent. And by the way, I still practice those same methodologies to, you know, 
still. Um, and then that's what told me that, uh, you know, I'm kind of need to be more in that category and not honking over some, uh, you know, some Nick doing Nick calculations. So yeah. we, we usually wait till later in the podcast to ask the question, but I think you touched on it. So I just want to, you know, put it out there. What do you think your superpower is? Um, I think, but <laughs> I think the superpower is exactly that is, is not, is, is, I can't say I don't have an ego, you know, like being here on a podcast that, that kind of, you know, fun to share. I think it touches on that or nurture that side, but I think I know to kind of put myself or lower that ego and come in and open the communication line and talk and let people vent and listen and encourage them to talk. And I have had on the past 20 years of doing real estate and working my business, every time there was a, a, a situation of a crisis and there are a few of them, I knew to be there for my clients and take on that. You know, I have a ability to contain that. So maybe my my uh, true superpower is the ability to be patient and contain, even if I'm not necessarily agreeing or, uh, you know, it's not even always pleasant to have that conversation. I'm not shying away from those unpleasant conversations. Never have. Yeah, so maybe that's a superpower, I hope. <laughs> now, because you're taking some of this, uh, the the Coventry University, did you play some rugby while you were there? Did they bring that to Israel or no? Uh, they do have uh, an official, like, uh, like a hobby league. Okay. Uh, football and, and rugby, but, uh, you know, they only brought the, the education. They didn't bring the fun stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you, did you find... Uh, you know, we're always trying to figure out how people make that decision to go from, you know, working for the man to decide to open up their own, hang up their shingle and do their thing. And, you know, there's certain places where that's just encouraged and certain places where people just don't know how to do it at all. So for you, obviously you had a pretty cool upbringing. It sounds like, you know, you're right in the middle of everything, having a good time. And then you had to do the military thing. Did, did something shape you to make you think like you might want to be an entrepreneur at some point, or is it wasn't until you were actually in the workforce, was it REIC, I think you worked for at some point, where you're like, you know what, this, this isn't for me. Was it, it isn't for me, or is it like I knew I always wanted to do this thing? Right. Um, so I think there was something in me early on, because as um, as much as early as probably 16, when I, in 16, when I was um, in 16, 17, I lived for two years in Washington, D.C. with my family, only for two years for high school. And I just went door knocking in one of the you know, nearby neighborhoods and offer loan services to the neighbors. I didn't have a loan more, so I borrowed my friends. And then when I saw I get some jobs, I hired that friend with his own loan, loan more to actually do the, 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 the you know, the cutting of the, the grass. Fantastic. So very quickly, I, I employed like not a lot and maybe two kids, you know, two other younger kids and they did the work and I just made sure everything is fine. So I think that sparked something there without even intending to do that. But that's kind of everywhere through, besides the military years, I always had working on an idea, thinking about an idea, trying to do, I never had other small businesses Nothing very, uh, nothing interesting enough to, you know, to talk about. Um, but what really pushed me, like, to start where I am today, uh, the journey where I am today, is the fact that I, as a young engineer in the same company, when I got a little bit bored, I just looked to the future. <laughs> I looked to the futures in the eyes and I said, 
wait, this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen in the next 10, 15, 20 years. I looked at my parents, my uncles, my my parents' friends, my older cousins. Everybody followed the same, you know, kind of model. They own their condo or maybe a house with a mortgage 15, 20 years in, working in many hours, missing on the family stuff, you know, just because of work. And what do they have to show for all those years? That piece, one piece of real estate with, with a mortgage, and that's it. And for me, I knew that's not a path. I'm, I'm, I just did not agree that this is the path I should be following. And I already saw myself. I started that. I was put on that path, on that you know mm-hmm. road with the job that I had and the hours. And it wasn't a startup. It wasn't a big corporation, but it was. I, I think it was like a mature startup, right? And a few years in, had money. You know, they were as as still as a startup. They were doing financially like this, you know, ups and downs. Um, and I just told myself this road i'm on it's not the road i want to be on but i just had a hard time finding what the road is so that took some some time but that was really the push and also this through those times where those thoughts were going on i realized how tough it is to thrive in israel and the reason it's 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 tough there may be three i think there's three main reasons one the culture is very backstabbing and very much when you agree with someone as, as a provider on a contract, they come back to you when everything is done and they want a discount. And why do you want a discount? They say, no, no, I want you to make money, but earn it, you know, profit on the next person. And I'm like, you're the next person. I already right. had that conversation with the previous one. That's all, And then you have to collect the money. It's very challenging. That's challenge number one. The backstabbing, you know, it's challenge number two. And third, the overall tax burden in Israel between sales tax, which is 17%, doubled in most of the states here wow. or counties. Yeah. And then the income tax and then the, uh, you know, the tax vehicles, 100%. So whatever you pay $30,000 for a new vehicle here, it's $60,000 over there, just just wow. like that. So that overall tax burden is, I, I like to just call it, it's about 70%, That's you crazy. know, 65, whatever. It's a lot. It's a, wow. And you just meet it everywhere. So even if you work hard and you are, you know, you, 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 you know, kind of many hours and you're able to get clients and you're able to, but it, the overall tax doesn't let you really thrive up. And that frustrated me very much so. And that's where I said, I need a different path. I need a different to find my own road. Um, I didn't know at the time what it would be, but I knew this is not right. So I started with the no, and then I was looking for the yes. And that's kind of pushed me off that road into something else. Do you think coming over to the United States for high school, you know, not only did it start your entrepreneurial journey, but did it also give you, oh, this is different. This is something that, you know, started also started that thought process of maybe I could do something different someplace else. Um, I don't think it, it, it told me that. Uh, it did well. First of all, I'll say the two years I did in the DC, in DC is part of the best things that I got. I got a huge life gift because what happened when I was uh, going to the DC, I got a social security number, which really enables mm-hmm. me to come to. It makes it easier when Correct. I moved later. Uh, my English, you know, I, I came at the tenth grade. My English was very basic, to say the least. Um, it, within two weeks, I, I spoke fluently. It was very it was the basic necessity of a teenager boy, right? You got to fix the English. Otherwise, 
you yeah. know, you're not going to talk to the girls, right? So nope. that's very much uh, helpful. <laughs> so within two weeks, I spoke, I don't want to fluently, but I spoke well, well enough to, to, uh, uh, to uh, you know, to to have a nerve to speak to them, to the to girls. Chicks love a good um, accent, though, so you're probably okay. The accent found to be yes. actually helpful. Yep. It's not a, it's actually a benefit, not a disadvantage. <laughs> uh, I can tell you that. So I got I got exposed to the U.S. culturally, the social security, the English got improved, you know, a lot. I still, you know, uh, was not it was not perfect, but really gave me that foundation. Um, but also. It gave me an appetite to what's going on here, and I kind of—I think I got the—I the, got—I got—I tasted freedom. <laughs> I tasted the good life, so to speak, and that's kind of kind of what what propelled everything else later on. It didn't start the entrepreneur side of it, but it did start the. Um, I could I could just tell this is a country that, if you work hard, you know. It, it, you will probably be okay. You have to be, you know, you have to, to want to work. You can't come here and be a lazy bum and expect everything to happen. But if you do, it will probably pay off, right? There's no guarantee, but it will probably pay off. I mean, that is the the takeaway. Again, it the people that live here that don't seize the day and go do and be the best they can, they just can't comprehend when somebody comes from another country and, and gets over here how amazing it is. We were just in D.C. at a conference. I remember our cab driver, in, or the Uber driver, and he was just like, this is amazing. I got, I'm in a limo business now. He goes, I just knew I could make it work here. And it, the concept was just, we've got this incredible opportunity. All you have to do is go take it and work hard and figure it out, and you can do it. Whereas a lot of places, they just don't give you the opportunity. And that's just the biggest, I guess that's the takeaway for our listeners is that, uh, you know, don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. Go go make it happen. This is the greatest place to go do it at, and you can Absolutely. do it. You can. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, if we're all on the topic, when I got my citizenship during about a few years ago, I know Obama was the president, and I went to the ceremony. I think it was like 2016, 17. I can't remember exactly. Um, Obama was the president. I went to the ceremony in the L.A. Convention Center, and I was busy. I was so busy. I thought this is like I gotta I gotta go there as quickly in and out because I'm just way too busy, and I'm just trying to make this. For me, it was just a chore, and I'm standing there by myself because it's early morning. My my wife and my my boy are still at home. No nobody else came in with me because I was just I wanted in and out, and I'm standing there. And when they you have to sworn in, I'm 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 crying, like. Mm -hmm. Why you, I'm asking myself, why am I crying? And I realized there's two reasons. First of all, when you are born into a country, you're never you're never sworn in. You're just you're a citizen. You're born right. you're, you're a citizen, right? Same, you know, in Israel, same thing. Here, I had to kind of take the oath, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I was sworn in, so that was like, wow, I'm someone is willing to accept me. But also, I think it kind of brought all the appreciation. So it's not for granted to move over. It's not for granted to succeed. On, on any level, yeah, um, it's it, this country gave me so much opportunity. I knew to work at it, but it's it responded to my hard work, and I was all very all of a sudden. It's kind of all came up. Me being so emotional about something, I thought I'm going to be in and out in a few minutes. I was like crying there. It was uh, actually a very appreciative moment. Moment, a moment to appreciate, you know, the opportunity. That's fantastic. It's like you yeah. said. It's uh, you weren't just entitled because you were born here. You had to do this willing partnership and make it work. And 
How satisfying is that? That have that it somebody entrusting you to do that, and you're going to do your part, and now look at you. It, I mean, that's that's get goosebumps every time I hear something yeah. like that. Yeah. That's the best. Me too, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Do you uh do you still do you follow any NFL teams or college teams or you you're not into that kind of stuff? Yeah, I've never even in Israel. I've never been like a sport fan. I would watch the you know the Super Bowl. Right. I would watch the, the you know the World Cup. The the highlights. There, I think it's always interesting because that's a, the sports at their top you know uh, abilities. So that's always that's almost art. That's not even sport for me. Gotcha. But on an ongoing basis. Uh, not as much. Gotcha. I'm American of me. Is that right? That's right. No, no. You know, it's funny. You'll one day you'll just wake up and you'll see something you're like, I want to follow that team. It's the craziest yeah. thing. It's our culture. I, know, it's, I, know, I, I can't yeah. explain it. Uh, yeah. Do you, you know, I, I want to go back again. It's, it's, I'm just always curious on people's journey, how they get where they got And like when you're, when you moved here in high school, then you had to move back, right? You had to go back to Israel Correct. and then I, and it's, did your parents stay here or do you have to go back or how'd that work? No, no, we all came as a family. Uh, and my all went dad, back. Yeah, my dad was a military attache for the Israeli, okay. uh, for, for Israel for two years. So it, it was a two year assignment. Let me just refocus myself here. Hopefully, okay. There it it was two years assignment and we came back. Uh, um, I was also had a, another lucky opportunity where the high school I went to, that was another thing like a, Lucky, lucky chance. The high school I went to in D.C. had a program that I could graduate at the end of the junior year by doing additional summer courses. So during the summer, I was still going to school to get the, the additional credits. And when I got back to Israel, I actually was a, you know, a high school graduate. And wow. that gave me also a, you know an advantage towards going to, you know, later on to university. So that was also helpful. That was another little perk I didn't plan for. It was just uh, kind of coincidence helped as well. Yeah, I've been bearing to think that there's something wrong with you. You're here in America for two years and you're going to summer school, taking extra classes and not enjoying everything. That is, again, it's just a thing that's programmed in people. Like some people have yeah. it and some people don't. Did you? Uh, Don't tell anybody I slipped through the entire uh, summer program because <laughs> my friends from Israel were visiting. No, but don't tell. <laughs> I will never say a word. Their secret's safe with us. Um, <laughs> the when you were in the in the military, was that a one year thing or two year thing? Three years three mandatory years. service. So you're in there yeah. for three years, and yeah. do you have to pick a discipline, or they kind of just put you where they need you? The military puts you where they need you, but you have the ability to request or volunteer to some units, and I. Uh, when I was at the drafting uh, base, uh, where they're the day of drafting, and they go let you kind of shop around between the different mm -hmm. units, and actually, you know, they want you to come and convince you. And this guy from one of the special forces units was sitting down in the tent and was just telling about that unit. And from that point on, I didn't see anything. I only saw mm -hmm. that unit. I didn't even think about the consequences of me not being picked into it because I have to go through some. Uh, like uh, you know, like they do for the seals, they have this uh, mm -hmm. hell week or something like mm -hmm. that. It's not a hell week; it's three days, but it's hell, um, and you have to pass that uh, few days. And they only pick anybody. Well, you have to not just finish it; you have to finish at the top, maybe twenty, because they only take the first twenty. And if you're not at the if you're like twenty one, you're you're somewhere else. You're not gonna be. It's you're not gonna be bad in a bad place, but it's a whole different. You know, to be in that unit versus number twenty one. So it's a really big difference. And I was picked, luckily for me. Thank but you. I was uh, very uh, tunnel vision looking at that unit, and I was not even thinking about 
So much so during Hell Week, I told myself, you've already done Hell Week for other units pre-military. You are not doing, you are not working hard enough. You don't need to prove to yourself that you have to finish the three days. You've already finished three days or four days somewhere else. So you might you might as well just walk away. If you can't do the hard work, walk away. I was just that's the conversation mm-hmm. I had with myself. And then another conversation, okay, just finish and finish. And actually I, I finished, you know, all the way to the top. So that was actually lucky for me. Well, then that begets the next question. How come you didn't want to stay in and keep going? Is it something that you're like, I just really want to put the three years and be done, or it just wasn't an opportunity? Because uh, that takes a lot to get in there. I mean, that's hard. No, it feels like you were sitting on the family conversation on Friday uh-huh. because my dad is military, career military. Right. He was a colonel in a colonel or something <laughs> like that uh, for many years. And my both of my sisters, older sisters, are officers. And when I came to that point, um, my family didn't pressure me, but they were very clear about they think I should go to officer schools. And I just felt... I'm not enjoying the military life. I've had enough. I mean, those two, three years, especially the first two, very intense, very, very intense. Um, and for me, I felt like I don't want to stay any longer. I just want to go out and I was, I've had enough. Like, I'm, I'm happy. Like my best buddies, we are still best friends for life. You know, they're actually mm-hmm. just, as we speak, they're heading to the airport, going to a ski trip in Europe, which I'm not uh, joining them this time, but we are really best friends for life. Um, all 15 of us stayed very, very close, uh, connected, but I feel like, nah, that's good enough for me. I want to move on with my life. Well, that, and again, you're always curious, cause again, it's so, it's weird that you must've had some other calling. Cause again, you achieve something that you shouldn't have probably made it right. Most people don't. And there you yeah. are. And not only yeah. did you get in, but you nailed it. And you're like, ah, <laughs> there's something else out there. And that's just not an engineer in you. That's some other driving force. I yeah, think. Probably. Uh, but yeah, Israeli military industries—they got some great weapons. Uh, you know, there's got Desert Eagle's a fine weapon. But yeah, uh, the great thing is, so now you come back, you decide to come to America, and you're going to do your thing here. When did you decide to go? In, is it real estate? I think you're teaching people like just like a guy like me. How do you invest in real estate? Is that what your deal is? Today it is. Uh, <laughs> back then, yeah, very much so. Thank for the past twenty, when, since I moved here. Um, I will say that when I was on the journey of looking for my path or my road, my financial, you know, kind of finding that, trying to find that road for myself, um, I eventually started investing in U.S. real estate from Israel. So we're talking about 2002. You know, Google was a startup, right? Mm -hmm. MapQuest were the only maps around. There was no Google Maps, no Zillow, all those websites. And I bought, uh, you know, my first investment property completely sight unseen in a small town called Phoenix, Arizona. I'm sure you've never heard of it. Nothing's going on uh, there. Uh, yeah, a small town. Even back then, it was really small, uh, of six million people, metro-wise. And that was my first investment, and it actually went well, relatively. You know, uh, after I some some obviously growing pains for not knowing exactly what to expect. Um, and then I did two other small investments. Those not expensive things. And then in 2004, I, I think I got really passionate about it. And I told myself that path that I want to find for myself, maybe it's real estate, but if really I want to succeed, I got to immerse myself in real estate. I can't just sit on the sideline and doing doing it. I, I probably could, but for me, the story I, 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 the story I sold myself was 
you, if you really want to succeed, you have to be as close as possible to the, you know, to the core activity. And that was the drive, you know, um, you know, to move out here eventually. Uh, actually, when we were debating what to do, my wife came one, one day and she said, you know what, let's, let's go. I'm like, what do you mean? Let's go. She says, I'm buying tickets. We're going. And we just, you know, I don't know if you probably never heard it. Israel has one of the best unknown management methods in the world. It's called, it'll be okay. <laughs> and you're joking. I'm That's joking. Awesome. But this is really in the culture, right? And that means it'll be okay. Right. And people follow that, you know, management methods throughout history. Sometimes it works. Um, so I told, you know, we just packed, you know, bags, came like immigrants, you know, four suitcases. Nobody did a relocation package, That's went fantastic. on a plane, bought tickets and, and, and landed here and started our journey just like that. You know, I didn't come with 20 bucks in my, my pocket, like some of the st stories from the past. But it wasn't, you know, a lot, a lot more money than that. So we came with a few thousand dollars in our pockets, which we saved up. We cleared our bank accounts, so we had a little bit of a maybe a wiggle room to get started for a few, two, three months, but not much, not much more than that, right? And half of that just went on setting ourselves up, right? We need a car, we need to rent a house, we need to buy a house, right? Because there's no furniture, and you know, so that was the the starting point. We just, you know, it really came with it'll be okay. And uh, what verdict is still out 20 what, years later. <laughs> what city did you move to when you came over? We moved to Marin County at first, which is just outside of uh, San Francisco. Okay. So mostly known for a place like Sosalito, Tiburon. Uh, you know, just we, anytime we rode, we drove to San Francisco, we crossed the Golden, Golden Gate Bridge, which for me, I've probably crossed it 300 times. I don't know, maybe more. Every time I cross that bridge, I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. I'm, you know, it's happening. I'm here. I, like it was always like a, like a big sign. Don't take it for granted, which I, I never did. So when you, when you moved, did both of your families support that move? Or was that something where you, you kind of did it and said, well, I'll let you know how it goes. It'll be okay. <laughs> uh, a little bit of both, you know, because I have members in my family that are a little bit more conservative. Everybody was happy for us. To, I think everybody was was uh, a mixed feeling. On one hand, we want we support your the journey that you're looking for for yourself. On the other hand, we know it it means it's gonna take you guys out of our day day to day life. So that's the biggest price when you put, when you move so far. The biggest price by by all means is friends and family. There's yeah. no other price, and that's you know uh, that has always been the challenge. That's always been the the the, the pain, so to speak. Um, some family members, I think nobody realized it will last so long. Not that they thought it's going to last. Nobody gave it some thought. They're just move, right? You don't think, oh, they're going to be back in a year, going to be back in five. Uh, it never came as a, um, you know, um, permanent as, as a management. Yeah. It was more like they'll be okay. And they're like some other family, like, what are they going to do? How are they going to succeed? Right. It's not like we came with a with there's no relocation package there's no like a, an employer sponsor there was no uh, salary right at the end when we land so that was uh, I think a lot of my family I think they knew us enough to say, to to trust that we'll succeed but there was also this fear what are we gonna do there right this, how is this gonna work out but you know what's so funny about that is <clears throat> one of the questions we that we kind of throw in here is you know. What was your biggest fear or obstacle you had to overcome to be an entrepreneur? And 
like none that can't even compare to everything else you've done. So like it had to be so easy to like, you know what? I'm going to hang up my shingle and go do this. This is cake. Like it, it couldn't have been a hard decision or was it? No, you know, easy. I knew it. And I know some of my friends uh, uh, told us, uh, some told, you know, told it to my face, like you are so brave. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm far from it. The lack of opportunity that I saw for myself in Israel was the driving force. So for me, moving from lack of opportunities to opportunities with, with like the hope and the vision, that's like such an easy decision. And it wasn't difficult. I wouldn't say it's easy and not fear and, you know, and a lot of unknowns and I've never been to California and I've never like, I was always, you know, when I was here, still it was looking, you know, I got, I got a sense that I'm starting already starting my adult life with everything that it means. And I'm looking, you know, again, to the future, like this is not, I don't see as much opportunities. It could be all mental, right? In our head, we tell, we sell and tell ourselves stories, but that's the story I had in front of me. And I felt like it will be very challenging. I had a company for one year from a project management company in Israel. And I'm, you know, I, one day when we came here and I was working on uh, submitting some documents, I had to go back and do a report of all the clients I've had in one year in, through the life of the company. It was about a year, a, year, a little bit over a year. And then I literally go contract by contract. You're like, oh, my God, that was so many. I'm like, I'm, I was blown away by my ability in Israel to get so many clients. And then I'm like, with all those clients, you were so struggling to, to get by. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. So for me, it was really like, it's a no-brainer. No bravery there. Yeah, like... Uh... Where you were at initially back home, you had the the smorgasbord had like two items on it. Then you came to America and it's all you can eat. You just got to go choose and go get it, right? I mean, that's the yeah, best way. Yeah, I think so, the yeah. opportunities were just there. I mean, and again, I, I don't know how you gravitated to the real estate side, but again, you were always dabbling in it before you came over. So I'm sure it wasn't yeah, foreign it for was you, but true. that's pretty cool that you did that. So what was your next move? So you make it to California. You've got this this investment in Phoenix. You've done a couple others. What's your next move? The next move, uh, uh, I partnered up with, oh, I joined someone who's already in the real estate business and kind of started working alongside that person. And very quickly, I saw that I am um, doing well as helping others invest in real estate. So I, lack of a better term or the way, the simplest term, to, the way I look at it is, it's like a real estate financial planner or financial planner specializes in real estate that has both the knowledge and the product. So it's not just one or the other. So kind of to simplify how that works. And from that point on, I started working at that help in and very quickly started helping others, you know, invest in real estate, putting the tracks, you know, putting all the effort of the knowledge and uh, knowledge and execution infrastructure and people just gravitated towards wanting to do something similar and that kind of what led the, you know led the path to do to not just continue that obviously can't brought the the compensation with it so i was able to continue investing myself but it just brought more clients that just gravitated and part of it was a big part of it is still by the way um the fact that i am on the west coast where there's a lot of wealth and a lot of expensive real estate, and I'm in, I'm helping or enabling or simplifying people how to invest in other parts of the country, 
where real estate is just much cheaper, right? Cheaper, not not necessarily cheap real estate, but cheaper relatively, or the rent ratio compared to the asset price is completely different. And people just, you don't need to do a lot of math to, to see like a million dollar home here, you know, at the time rents for 3,000 and you can buy four houses, even five houses for a million dollar in a different place in the country, and that will rent for 10,000 or 9,000, whatever. So people are like, oh, I get it, right? It's a lot better. And that's kind of created that that knowledge gap, that execution gap. And then I had to call on my skills of, you know, helping people, you know, with no, to communicate how this works to them and simplify. And then they just, people just, not everybody, but many people, uh, just got it. And they say, okay, I get it. I can see that why it makes more sense for me to invest in another part of the country. So I, I guess one of the questions is a lot of times, you know, from my the clients that I know and, and people in real estate, they start off doing a bunch of real estate and they get good at it and they want to keep expanding their empire and they may partner to do more real estate. But for you, all of a sudden, you decide you're going to share your secrets and teach others. You know, how, how did that switch flip? Because now and now you're building all these competitors, but obviously your program must create some sort of revenue stream that you partner with them, or whatever that is. Doesn't it's not important to this conversation. But again, all of a sudden you want to be the teacher and and mentor them like somebody just did for you here a few years ago, right? So is that yep. what made that happen? Absolutely. I think the um, I look at it as I'm translating real estate to people because there's so many moving parts. There's so many, you know. Uh, just speaking, sometimes I'm I'm 20 years in the business. I speak to lenders, mortgage people on a weekly basis, and I still get those emails from those mortgage people. I'm like, I think there's like mm-hmm. you have to know there's English, there's an American English, and there's mortgage language. Oh boy! Right? And, I'm, and I'm getting those emails. I'm in the business. I know the person, and I'm like, I think I know what he's meaning, but I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not 100. Let me check. So all those communications, and you know, there's so many professionals involved. Um, that's where it's good to have that kind of quarterback, you know, putting things together, but also helping translate a situation to the person or explaining how things work, or many times even telling my clients, you are telling yourself a story that it's incorrect in your mind. You're, you're putting yourself in a situation and, and you're telling yourself it will never rent. Yes, in the extreme situation, it would never rent, but that never happened to me in 20 years. So there's a reason why. The chances of you getting to uh, uh, to not renting the house, as an example, are practically zero, right? Uh, there's so many things that needs to fail, and we are avoiding those, you know, in the first place. So sometimes I have to tell my clients, my client, to, to put him on a spot and say, "You're you're wrong, or you're not thinking clearly, or you're thinking it incorrectly." Let me present to you how we solve the problem, and I help them, you know, you know, I help them come down from whatever tree or whatever they're on just to show them there's a path to resolve or solve or mitigate a problem. That happens a lot. Again, all comes back to the communication. What's well, funny, you know, we always joke around the hardest clients for CPAs to deal with are engineers and doctors. And engineers, because they generally know a lot of things, And but what we do know is that if you put an engineer on a project, whatever that is, it doesn't matter what, they'll figure it out and it's going to be right. It's, and so for you, you're like, uh, I got this. And now the question would be then is, do you derive more of your passion, your your revenue, your volume from you actually investing in real estate, whether it's flipping or 
fixing up or renting it out, or do you generate that by helping others fill up their portfolios? It's both. You still do both then. Okay. I know is because when I'm in this, in a specific situation, sometimes I ask myself, I, well, I, I, I learn about myself to see how I'm reacting to that situation. And there's two situations that in my day to day business that always gets me more excited. One, when I'm putting a new program together, like an investment program together, for some reason that always get me like more energized. I'm like, I can tell I love doing that, you know, putting all those operational pieces together. The other place is when I'm holding my, I call it the strategy session with my, my initial conversation, strategy session with my clients at the, the conversation number one that we, we have just to get to know each other. I was, this is an opportunity for you to ask me what you want and for also for me to get a sense who you are. Cause I'm also kind of asking myself, do I want that person as a client? Oh, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe this is not a good fit. Uh, they're not fully aware of that, although I do mention it, you know, quite a lot. Um, and I have had conversations like this, the strategy session for the past 20 years, I've probably had more than 20,000 of those conversations, right? I'm not talking about the day-to-day interaction. Mm-hmm. That's maybe another 40,000 of them or more, just that clearly box conversation about getting to know each other, getting the process started. Uh, I don't know, 18,000, 21,000, who knows, right? A lot. And I have them on a weekly basis. And when I get into that conversation, I do not, I never feel like I'm worn out, that I don't have energy for it. I'm like, I'm all pumped. I'm all ready. You know, I just want to, I'm, I'm like in the zone and I'm enjoying this. Uh, so that also tells me I'm in the right place. You know, I'm never yep. like, oh, I never had to feel like, oh, not another one. Never. You know, so hopefully it will never come. But that also, you know, it's like a self-test. Am I in the right place? And when I have that conversation and I feel good about being there, I'm like, okay, you're in the right place. If you're enjoying this, if it fulfills you, so that's that's a good sign. I think that goes back to the whole, uh, as an entrepreneur, you're generally doing things, you know, to pay the bills, you're chasing this dream, doing what you do. And then all of a sudden, you know, money's important, but it's not everything. And all of a sudden you're like, what is that purpose? And then all of a sudden you realize helping somebody else achieve their yeah. greatness. I mean, that's just the magic, that's the always, magic sauce. Always, yeah, that always paid dividend, you know, emotional yeah. dividends personally. It's a, I think it's a characteristic, but it's always been as as young as I can remember myself. I don't know why, but it's just been there. It just feels good. I don't know why. Yeah. So you talked about your mentor as soon as you came over and you kind of, you know, obviously your path led you to be a mentor to so many. Are you still in touch with that person today? Do you guys still do business? Not at all. This a very this person is super smart uh per- person but uh i knew the minute we'll stop working together that'll be probably the last day we'll speak right uh i just knew personality wise nothing bad about this person it's just personality is very mm-hmm. he's very um you know keep to himself kind of a person um you know we may have spoken over the past 10 years maybe exchanged three emails i would say like very courtesy you know like uh like something happened in the other's person like major event and and that's it. I've never, I, none whatsoever. Yeah. And so then begs the next question. Have you found another mentor or someone, you know, as you've gone through being the mentor, I think it's, you know, we always hear people say, well, I've built this team around me that's allowed me to then go do X or Y or whatever that is. Have you been able to kind of navigate that as you've been so successful? Unsuccessfully, yes. So I was able, but not in a very successful way. I'll tell you that um, 
maybe eight years ago. That's also kind of, I found this person. His name is Robert Shaman. Robert Shaman is an author with multiple books and, you know, bestsellers. And he speaks, I've, I've seen him speak on different stages, real estate investment stages, in, you know, throughout my career when I attended events or even participated in events. So I knew the name, super nice guy. Um, I always, I always call him the, in the US is like the, the second row of speakers, meaning he he's on the same stages with Tony Robbins and uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Susie Ormond, like those stages, but he's never the headliner. Uh, I don't know why he should be, but he's never the headliner, um, you know, in, in those in those events. Although he's very, it is an excellent speaker, a person with with good heart, also loves to help people. And one day I asked myself, I tell my wife, like, I need a mentor. I feel that I need a mentor. And she says, who's the person? I said, that's the person. Like, I don't know him, right? I know the name. I chase him <laughs> for nine months, meaning text and with his assistant. And it takes me nine months to get a conversation with him. Not because he wasn't available. He's, this guy is traveling all the time. It's just hard to find those, you know, the minutes. And it's like very slow to respond. He tells me, Danny, I'm in between. I have half an hour for you. I have a lot of meaning. We'll have a conversation on that day. We end up speaking for two hours, right? Wow. Just getting to know each other. And then he tells me, all right, let's do, we find a, a mechanism and we work for the next year or so. Um, and then we just, you know, I think it just ended up because there was no, I think for that period that, that we did everything we wanted. But that year also, brought us close together and we became friends to the point that when I'm in Israel, he has a group in Israel and he's there. We always meet, of course. When he was here with his team, we had a dinner together. If he comes to Orange County, Southern California, even Vegas, he calls me or texts me, I'm here. Do you have time to meet for a coffee? You know, so we stayed in touch. We stay in touch. We talk every once in a while. So that's not a relationship that ended. Um, so that was the only time I was able to find a mentor um i have had throughout 2022 for about six to eight months i had a coach like a business mm -hmm. coach uh, uh we are now in communication about renewing because uh, she had some changes in her life so i wouldn't say she's she's more of an advisor than a mentor mentor for me has always been like something i kind of over the years there are times i was looking for it i couldn't find one there's a lot of um there's a lot of Overpromise, under delivery kind of uh yep. or the or the cost effective or they're super maybe they're delivering well but they're so expensive it's almost unaffordable uh so it's kind of tricky so the simple answer is very challenging so have you taken that lesson and has that simply changed how you give to your absolutely absolutely for me I'm, i always try well i look at myself and i say i'm trying to make myself available and quickly um, I, I think that it, I see it mostly being, I think I'm mostly surprising clients of mine that have purchased a property maybe four or five, six years ago. And I tell them after you own, you purchase that property, if you purchase it through us, we will stay and support you with issues that come up in the next years with management, with tenants, you know, we will help you with that. I tell it, I'm telling it here, right? So my clients know it. I never hide that fact. And someone calls me after, I, I see just multiple times, they call me after four years that we haven't spoken with a simple question or a complicated situation. And I pick up the phone or I call them and I'm like, yeah, let me look into it. Let me tell you. And they're like, really? You're going to do that? I told you I'm going to be here. I told you, I told you 
this is not about time. You are my client. Of course, I will help you. And they're pleasantly surprised. Now, I want to say it's not nice to see them surprised. But, you know, I'm just holding my own. I'm just living up to my own word. I told you when you have a problem, it's part of the package. You paid for it. I will help you. I will support you. And I will try to resolve that situation for you. So, but there are many times those would kind of fade away over the years. There's like, oh, it's so nice. Like, I'm, I'm shocked. Like, I knew you told me that. I'm, I'm surprised you're doing it and so much. They shouldn't be. Oh, absolutely. That's you shouldn't be. That's your integrity. That's your 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 word is exactly. what you do. And and if they know where you what you went through to get where you are, they would know that that take that to the bank. Maybe not well, SVB bank, but to a bank. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've also found there's another little perk to it that I didn't plan. So I'm always there because of what you said, the integrity, integrity in what I, like I promised. But over the years of being there, talking to the person after four years of not kind of communicating or three years or five, whatever, all of a sudden, I don't need to do anything. Like, oh, by the way, we want to buy another one. I want to do. So the natural evolution of that conversation, and I don't even ask them, do you want to buy, how about another property? Just by this interaction, renewing the connection, once things are resolved or on the path to be resolved, almost always like, by the way, we want to buy another one, right? So that's, it turned out to be also very beneficial to be there because that's just reconnecting and they may may come and buy another property. I don't do it for that reason. That's just an, like a byproduct of, of, of being there. That's that's the one word, relationship. That's it. Yep. You keep those relationships going. Do yep. you have a, uh, do you have like this, a piece of real estate that you're like, man, if I could just buy that thing or and fix it up or flip it or turn it back to the glory or tear it down and build it out. Do you have any of those that's just like the dream deal? Or, I mean, you don't have to tell specifically because <laughs> I don't want people to get in on it, but do you have things like that, or is it just if come if they come, then you get one? Uh, um, I would say no, but um, many times when I speak to someone, especially that they're not client yet, they tell me, "Danny, when an amazing deal comes along, will you let me know?" Yes. So I'm not telling that, but I'm telling you, and if they listen, no. Yes. Not because I'm keeping it for myself. Maybe that's a possibility. Is because first of all, the people, the clients that already signed up to be a client, that already did the vote of confidence of becoming trusting us, they, they would be the first one who's getting it, not yeah. you. You can be part of that group, but you have to be part of that group. So that's kind of uh, something that uh, um, um, rarely happens. I've seen three deals in my career that I would call like, wow, wow. Um, you know, so just that's how rare they are. I, I'll go even further and say, but eight years, seven years ago, I had, I was, at the time I was flipping properties. I had three potential flips in front of me and I sent it to my database and I wanted to do one, but I told myself, Danny, let your clients choose and you'll take the leftover, right? I was happy with with any one of them. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll, I'll offer all three and whatever is left over, I'm going to do myself, right? So they picked the ones that appeared to be better and I did. I took the third one that appeared to be not as amazing, right? Guess who, who you already know probably which one did the best, right? And I was unintentional and it's, I don't know if it's karma. I just said, you know, I'll be okay with either one. So it's kind of happened that as well. I think when you're, when you're good, you're just good. That's just the way it is. That's <laughs> 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 there's nothing else to say. Is yeah. there a, you know, is there an end game for you? Is it are you going to keep doing this until you're a million years old? Or are you going to do it when you're when you hit the ripe age of forty five? Or 
I mean, or do you have something else completely in mind that you want to do? So another passion or dream that you want want to you know put forth effort into? You know, it's kind of interesting that you're asking. I'm just kind of going through the process of in recent, not even a year, maybe a year. I'm trying to see how I can pull all that knowledge and experience and the love of sharing and mentorship and kind of shift it to people who are looking to for for mentorship in business, right? So use all of this because I've solved a, a lot of that uh, you know issues as a, a lot of challenges of a business owner. I just solved them as I went along, and now including in we even talked about it how I completely kind of redesigned my CPA accounting system. You know I know mm-hmm. it's your business, and I thought we will have chance to even share something that uh, your clients could benefit. Um, I always wanted to take that knowledge and say, this is not just real estate, this is business. And now how can I extract it? So that's a little bit where I am these days. I want to shift over, not shift over, but add another avenue that will leverage on all that experience, knowledge, ability, you know, karma, positivity to help others and benefit from it, but also, you know, just leverage on that. Well, I'm telling you, like one of the things we see with entrepreneurs is if they would have just gotten a good advisor and a good CPA and then match up with the attorney after they get with their CPA that advises them, their path is totally different and way better. They just don't know that ask. They think it might cost too much. They didn't realize that's an investment and it's something they should do. If they would just get those couple keys at the beginning, I mean, it's, you know, light years ahead of everybody. They don't have to go through the school hard knocks, but people just don't want to do that. I mean, that's what we try to do it on this side. And if you get to do that, I mean, that's really what people need. And then they can apply that to any type of, you know, industry, of course. But if you have a customized for the real estate, I mean, you're going to hit a home run with that. That'll be awesome. And, and I think you guys touched it well on there's an, a recent episode about uh, hardship or challenges of entrepreneurs that you talked about how they're not properly like they're doing accounting yep. themselves. You said 70% are doing, I'm it's like, horrible. what? Horrible. What? By the way, yeah. guys, don't, don't sh- cut it out of edit. Accounting is very time, you know, draining and boring. Oh no, I, I, I second that. So I, we're, we're on the same page. I, I, so, I, I mean, for me, I could think my time is I could use elsewhere and I'm not good with accounting. So why would I want to spend on something that takes a lot of time, a lot of energy and boring? I mean, I sometimes think I got to get my head examined. But the good news, I don't do much type typing in data. It's more strategy, thank God, because back in the day, I mean, you know, if, you, if you put yeah. me in a cost accountant world, I, it'd be over. I, I'd have to quit um, and do something yeah. totally different. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate you being on the show, Danny. And uh, if we ever get out to the Orange County Fair again, I'm going to look you up because that's a great fair. And, I would love, yeah. We, we were just there last year. Really? It was a, it was yeah. a hoot. Yeah, I love a good fair. Yeah, it is. Well, if you want to put a little uh, plug in here of how people get a hold of you, I'm sure uh, they might want to reach out. Yeah, um, absolutely. For, so first of all, thank you guys for the conversation. Pleasure. Truly, truly a pleasure. Um, my web identity my alter ego, you could say, is called Simply Do It. That's my company name. Everything online, you know, is Simply Do It. If you just put Simply Do It with Danny, Simply Do It with Real Estate, very likely you will land on one of our social media outlets, website, etc. And, you know, and I'm, I try to make myself approachable and soon, not, you know, talk to you in three months and for 10 minutes. That's not my style. Um, So absolutely, if someone... 
is running a business and they just need a few minutes, uh, even an hour. You know, someone's listening and like, I just need to brainstorm with someone. You know, I'll, 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 I'll be happy to offer a few hours of just kind of see if I can pick your brain and help you in, in the process. Or you pick my brain and help yourself in the process with pleasure. I, I just think it's awesome. You're an inspiration to everyone. If, if they can listen to this story and, and want, make them get off the couch and do something, I, I don't even know. They have no chance whatsoever. <laughs> but you're very motivational. Yeah. I appreciate you again. Thank you for coming yes, on. Yes, thank you. Guys, thank you. It's Glenn Harper signing off. Julie Smith. Thanks. At Harper & Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.